Welcome to Revive Ministries Podcast. We have a very special guest today. I got to know her a little over a year ago. I helped her husband. She's a pa- he's a pastor at a church I used to attend. I'm very excited to have Juliet Van Heerden with us today. Welcome, Juliet. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. I've I've heard a lot about you and um, um, that you have done a lot for the community regarding caregivers and their relationship with her addicted loved ones. You know, we're talking about substance abuse and a lot of topics that a lot, a lot of times get pushed under the rug, you know, especially in churches or it's it's a sensitive topic, you know. And um, I just want to begin by actually, you know, a lot of times when I'm having guests on my podcast, um, it doesn't matter how much you know a lot of times. It's just building that trust. You know, trust is such a big component when you're having communication, when you're telling a story. Because stories, I feel, is one of the best avenues to share experiences and share what you have learned. And um, yeah. But um, first, you know, Juliet, I'd like to say she um, she's an educator. She's a speaker and a writer. Also, you hold a master's of science in literacy and education. But your journey has been one of faith, which is inspiring. And um, we will get to all the ministries you're involved in and all that. But I like to start off with a quote, kind of set the tone. Uh, I use Nelson Mandela a lot. It's kind of funny because your husband's from South Africa. (laughs) But the idea idea is, um, may our choices reflect our hopes, not our fears. I think for me, in the context of our faith, gives them much deeper meaning for me because like if we're just continually making our choices out of fear we kind of box ourselves in the corner we kind of limit ourselves because what i find is the pain we go through sometimes is sometimes the biggest opportunities of growth if that makes sense so you wrote the book same dress different day a spiritual memoir of addiction and redemption chronicles your escape from the sixth cycle of codependency to freedom and redemption. I just want to ask you a brief question. We're going to get to your book after you tell your story. It's just, can you tell us your experience writing it? Well, sure. Um, I, I had a lot of fear. You know, your, your quote, may our choices reflect our hopes and not our fears. There was a lot of fear surrounding this um, this calling uh, that I felt uh, to write my story. And um, my tagline for my ministry and ends up being uh, sowing hope in hearts wounded by addiction. And, you know, hope is, is something that we all cling to when we don't have much else going on. And when I, uh, you know, was was married to someone whose life focused around um, cocaine addiction. I I didn't have a lot of hope for him or for me or for our marriage or for you know even you know even for his life at at, at one point. But um, when I and I didn't tell our story to anyone. You know, we just lived in this shame bubble. Yeah. Um, when I finally, it was years later, and, you know, unfortunately, uh, the marriage ended and um, his decisions took him to prison. But 
um, as as God redeemed my life and I felt compelled to share my story with others, um, I, it, it was a struggle to actually be able to to put it down in writing, yeah. even though I love writing. And it took about three years mm. to, um, to birth the story. In order to write something well, you have to go back and relive some of yeah. those experiences in your mind. And that was hard. Yeah. Um, but just also, you know, kind of telling the truth of, uh, of a Christian family that struggled with, um, you know, major chemical dependency and then my issues with codependency, just being honest and taking a real look at it um, in order to write the story well. It, it was tough, but um, the end result has been very rewarding as people come back to me now and and just share their gratitude uh, for me putting words to their experience. Yeah, you know, I've done, I do a lot of support groups in the community, and one of the things that I always notice is that a lot of people don't have an outlet. You know, I do talk about telling the people in my groups to journal, you know, journal whatever, just write things Absolutely. down because because you need a you need an outlet because you know. You know, I, you know, I, I could go out to the gym and all that stuff, but if it's two in the morning, it's not conducive <laughs> to go out <laughs> and do all that stuff. So the thing is really you got to find an outlet to kind of like process this thing. And I do like what you're saying. You're telling your story, but what I found in my experience, me being a peer, me struggling with mental illness and all of that is that serving and helping others is my recovery and my healing for me. It's yes. just this concept that I've adopted that it's just really propelled me. Obviously, my faith is a huge part, and it's just propelled me even further. And I just, you know, it's just really a huge blessing. You know, substance abuse affects everyone, and that's what we're trying to display here. It affects everyone connected to that individual. It's not just Absolutely. that individual that's that's going through it. It's everyone surrounding. The ripple effects is widespread through families, friends, communities, and et cetera. I remember when I was in the military, 2000 to 2004, around that time was when the crystal meth wave was coming from West Coast. And I felt it in Oklahoma. I felt it hard in Oklahoma. Some some people, I lost a couple of people because of it. So um, yeah, so wow. Juliet, thank you for being willing to share your story with us today. His Absolutely. Addiction or Mine, I really like the title. So without further delay, <laughs> Can you please share with everyone listening your story of recovery? Okay, well, you know, the title says a lot, his addiction or mine, because um, it's easy to point the finger at the quote-unquote real addict in the family, mm -hmm. the, one, um, the one who has chemical dependency, the one whose addiction, you know, costs hundreds of dollars a day and uh, you know you can see their life falling apart their health falling apart it's easy to just point all the fingers at them and say yeah they're the problem they're the culprit and our loved one's addiction can become our identity yeah um but in my story it, it wasn't until uh, my first husband i call him john in my book it's a pseudonym mm. but um he goes to rehab for the first time and when he was there I visited and attended my very first 12-step uh, meeting um, 
and uh, when he got out um, to support him, I started attending the Narcotics Anonymous meeting, meetings. And um, through the process of attending meetings to, to support him, I, I recognized that the 12 steps of recovery, um, the, the principles in those steps are applicable to any person with any hurt habit or hang up. And uh, I had a lot of issues of my own um, that, you know, coping mechanisms. And my, um, I, I, I was able to put a name to the codependency that I struggled with, you know, being the, I rescued uh, my husband, then I persecuted my husband, <laughs> and then, you know, I became the victim, you know, that, that sick uh, triangle, that codependent cycle that just went around and around. And so, you know, through my exposure to those, um, to the 12 Steps and Narcotics Anonymous, and then um, subsequently we we moved to another part of our state and started attending a, a Christ Center 12-step group called Celebrate Recovery. And um, they had, you know, group for codependents. And um, even when uh, John relapsed and stopped attending the 12-step groups, I, I continued um, being part of recovery community uh, for myself, recognizing that, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't the only person under our roof who had issues, who had, um, you know, unhealthy coping mechanisms, ways of numbing, numbing pain. Yeah, you know, maybe um, mint chocolate chip ice cream doesn't kill you as fast as <laughs> cocaine does, but um, eventually, you know, it can catch up to you yes. and, um, and and cause and cause its own health issue. Cause you know, whatever we choose to numb with, um, that is that is that is ultimately unhealthy for us. It, it it kills us one way or another, and we don't like to say that codependency kills, but in the end, the ultimate result um, is death. Yeah, and, and I just yeah. want to say, um, you know, I I facilitate a lot of this holistic recovery group in in town, and one of the questions I ask the people struggling with strong emotions, you're talking about strong emotions like fear, anger, sadness, yeah. or any of this, is this: what do you think you've lost, or what did you not get? that you expected or desired to have. If you peel that, you'll be surprised at what you find. A lot of people are in pain, they feel they lost and they try to put something else in there to 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 um, fill in that gap. But a lot of times we're just kind of chasing and like our whole thing about pain and we just try to run away from it. I, I, I didn't say, I said this um, in a previous podcast, but I'm not going to name any names. I was in the military. I noticed this. It's just this, this one of my, one person I knew came back from Iraq and he was really hurt. Like he, he had, you know, he had, uh, they had to work on shoulders, everything like that. And instead of, there was a lot of chaos going on, but you know, because he was very much of a talker. He had a lot of things to say. They just gave him opioids and like, you know, prescription pain medicine, no follow-up. I remember speaking to this guy, really like a huge bottle, no follow-up. And I'm not here to condemn or whoever was doing the care. My whole thing is there's there's shift in our society to avoid pain at all cost. You know what I mean? And a lot of times we're avoiding sometimes the biggest opportunities, you know, 
the biggest growth one of the best things i see whenever you see a story even in the bible or outside the bible the best stories are the ones that they have a trial or tribulation and they're the growth of that character and like you kind of wonder they ask themselves during the period why did this happen to me Mm. but later on you kind of maybe a decade maybe even longer you got to see that this shaped who i am right now does that make sense so um I just find yeah. the growth is really something that we have to not minimize. Pain is sometimes we can't avoid and we shouldn't try to avoid. The path of least resistance is not always the path we need to go to. But anyway. Well, that's true. It, it's really true. And um, I I have a, a quote that I use a lot when I'm speaking and, and, and encouraging people to find that safe healing community where they can be transparent and share their pain in a, in a safe setting. It's written uh, by uh, Heather Kopp. She's the author of a book called Sober Mercies, How God Caught Up with a Christian Drunk. Mm. And he- Heather says, people bond more deeply over shared brokenness than they do over shared beliefs. Mm. And I really think that's such a powerful, um, it's a powerful thought because often, especially in church, uh, you know, the different denominations and different, you know, thought, (laughs) thinking of different groups of people, it, it can become divisive. Oh yeah. But um, when you go to your twelve-step recovery group, or your you know codependence group, <laughs> or your adult children of alcoholics group, you know you have people coming together from all walks of life, from you know atheists who may not believe, you know they don't know what the higher power is or who the higher power is, yes. right? To from you know to people who, from all different religious backgrounds or whatever, we come together in that small space mm-hmm. and we are honest with our um, struggles we are honest with our pain we are honest with our relapses and in that in that space we bond and sometimes those bonds are are stronger than the bonds you know in our own families our own houses of worship and um so I, i just really believe her quote is true people do bond more deeply over shared brokenness because in our brokenness we are honest and um that's that's where the healing starts to happen is when we get real and when when the denial comes off and we're able to be honest this is me i am broken this is where i'm struggling then the healing starts to happen yeah it's interesting because um um i just remember um as you know i was i was kind of a leader in the church and uh, one of the things that i noticed that never works being right is not everything you understand the con- <laughs> being right usually 99.9% of the times doesn't solve the problem it's about the connections or relationships we have and we make that's right and I know um, right. I know you're talking about you know um, you know the brokenness and this this idea and I like this idea because there's a lot of lies we believe and I believe these lies like how often have you felt overwhelmed with the pressure to perform well and that hinged on you being valued you being valued is only if you were at a hundred percent all the time. And I'm saying this because I'm not, I know people who I work with in groups that are struggling with codependency. And a lot of times they feel like they have to be a hundred percent all the time because the other person 
and it's just not conducive. It's not conducive, and it's not <laughs> realistic. It's not realistic. But at the same time, you're valued, Juliet, because you're Juliet. I'm valued because I'm Robert Cologne. There's this kind of systemic thing that we kind of we kind of put so much weight on our shoulders, but at the same time, we recognize that. I don't know. I was doing this. I was re- I was seeing this Bible study, and it was this one guy said effortless work. It's a beautiful concept. Effortless work is the idea that you you find you you'll be amazed at how much you would do for someone because you love that person. The idea of love is just like effortless work. You the work is no different. It's just that you value that person. You value that whole thing, and the work doesn't seem like work. You know this idea, right. and it's just this this perfect middle, not the legalistic like I have to go by this this list or this like carefree um, attitude. It's more of this like intentional willingness because willingness usually is overlooked. Because willingness is just a step. When I went to when I first went to the church, it was not because I knew everything or understood everything. It's because I was actually willing. That's the whole thing. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but continue with your story. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're you're fine. You're making um, you're making some good points. And you know, you asked me what is one, you know, one area where um, I I felt like maybe I failed, or you know, how much how how did my value fit in with this? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I have a definitely type a personality um symptoms of my codependency are perfectionism and control um so when you know when my first husband had this hundred dollar a day cocaine habit in the early 90s um you know I, i was a teacher i we were christians in church we had this certain um, illusion of a, a you know Christian family Christian life and um, even just you know we owned a small business in our in our town just you know upstanding uh, you know people in our community and I did not want that bubble to be burst and I worked very hard to keep that facade of perfectionism in, in place worked very hard to make sure that you know the bills got paid that we had electricity that you know cars ran everything looked fine on the outside even though on the inside you know we were we were imploding the physical health of my husband was was declining Um, our financial situation was just ridiculous we were in so much debt so much credit card debt no light at the end of the tunnel Um, and then you know I just had this this pain in my soul because I, I was a young um, wife and um, I had dreams for my life <laughs> that, that that weren't being fulfilled and I had needs that weren't being fulfilled in fact um, do you mind if I just share a little quote from my book no go ahead, um, go ahead. it's just a it's just a piece that talks about you know when when we're married to somebody who's chemically dependent it says um, this is page 47 when a spouse is chemically dependent it is actually impossible for them to properly love us. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. My expectations, those of any normal young wife, were consistently met with rejection. Mm. My husband lived from high to high, virtually unable to relate on any level of intimacy. Yeah. 
And so that was, I think one thing that it was just a great loss to me was like, you know, my husband, I felt like I was invisible and I was invisible. His lover was cocaine. That's what he pursued. That's what made him feel good. And that's where he spent his time, his money, his energy. It wasn't on me. And so, you know, one of the losses that I just experienced, you know, just was that rejection and the loss of um, those years where, you know, it's the time in your life where you, if you're, especially if you're a woman uh, like myself, who, you know, always dreamed of being a mom, having a family, um, you know, those dreams were just dashed because my husband didn't pay any attention to me at all, really. Yeah. And I wasn't, you know, thinking like, you know, how can you bring a child into into this mess? Yeah. So one of my greatest losses was, you know, just that of, of becoming a mom when I was younger. And it was, it was really a, a great uh, pain and sorrow that, um, that I carried for a long time. There's this, um, this guy named Victor Frankl, he, he writes a book, um, I think it's called mm-hmm. Man Searches for Meaning. You know, yeah. I'm trying to switch the, the um, um, th- just shift a little bit. The idea is that he says, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. Mm. It's amazing, like I do a holistic group recovery group and I actually do a Bible study at the same drop-in center and the one thing that i know is they kind of bleed over because finding meaning is so vital in recovery when you get to that point you gotta find meaning because it was just the maslow's uh, you know of of need you know like shelter food that's just not enough you know that's just not enough there has to be meaning. We're not islands. And we, you know, even the ones who say they're introvert still want to be connected. We're all wanting to be connected. You know, one thing I've noticed from people who are effective in connecting with people are when you talk to them, you feel like they're not distracted and no one else is in the room or wherever you're at. Those people are fundamentally real. It's, we're we're losing that nowadays because all the distraction. I admit it. I'll be talking to someone and then someone texts me, and what happens? I look at it, right? And I'm in the middle. Obviously, that person knows me, but like, what if it's someone else? You know, right. someone's good news could be someone's bad news. It's one of those crazy concepts that we don't know all the context. But yeah, I really like what you're saying because the thing is, you know, you know. I know there's one thing I used to say is like hurt people hurt people I actually did a sermon with that title hurt people hurt people and it's one of the things that we don't understand sometimes we kind of feel like hurt people you know this victimhood that we kind of put ourselves in mm-hmm. but we when does the cycle end and you know, one of the things that I find helpful in my growth in my recovery is finding purpose and finding meaning because it can't just be even even if I have a nice nest egg, nice place to live, nice, nice, whatever. It's the connections we make that matter. You know, I've lost some close people in my life and seen people who were about to die. And funny thing is that what they treasure isn't stuff they owned or the titles they had or hide behind, but it's all about the connections they made. Juliet, how important is your connections with the people closest to you in your life 
Like, you obviously that's kind of like how much that's a simple question, but like, you with the context of what we're talking about, because yes. a lot of times we could get lost and distracted in the world we live in. We get so well, <laughs> we hide behind. Sorry to interrupt you. Sorry, yeah. no, <laughs> we hide, we hide behind shame and fear a lot of times and that keeps us disconnected even though we're in the same physical space as other people isolation kills yes Um, and you know we we can be around people we can do life with people and still be isolated because of shame or guilt or fear and i found that you know once i started to be honest about our story the truth about um, what was going on in our lives my own being honest with myself about my own you know uh, issues my codependency my uh, co- coping mechanisms my workaholism you know numbing with food uh, turning to sugar uh, to to you know raise my dopamine levels or whatever you yeah. know all that you know once once I just became more honest, more transparent about it. Um, in my, in my recovery groups, I found that it, it kind of translated or bled over into my, um, other con- contacts, my other connections, um, family, friends, and, you know, the rest of my life. And, um, Dr. Larry Crabb, um, he's a, he's a very well-known, um, psychologist in Christian circles and he's retired now, but, uh, he's, he, his whole premise um, in his book Connecting is that healing takes place in community and um, you know that that's we, we believe that in the recovery culture of course but um, I just encourage everyone to you know find safe healing communities to be honest to be held accountable to uh, not allow um, pride and fear and shame to shut us up, to keep us silent. Because the truth is, everybody's struggling with something. Everybody, um, statistics now. I mean, really, we all know and love someone who's who's chemically dependent, who's addicted to something yeah. like illegal. You know, yeah. <laughs> like pretty much, pretty much. That's every family that's addicted. But you know, we also have these other. You know more socially acceptable addictions um you know even you mentioned you know we we uh, interrupt our connection with our devices looking at our phone or whatever but you know this this media addiction these de- the addiction to our devices yeah. they create isolation um that you know now there are even you can live in treatment centers for people who need to detox from gaming from their devices you know so like we 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 can laugh about it but it's serious it's serious and it it changes our brains um just as much as some of these other things do we're so connected in so many ways and so unconnected we're so we're less connected now with more stuff to connect us it's crazy it's just one of the backwards things that i'm beginning to see and you know on the face-to-face you know the one-to-one talk you know and the putting your phone down really being present being present with someone you know i mean being there at the moment you know you know it's really you know i bet you know i could venture a guess that you know boundaries is a huge thing a huge part of moving forward in your recovery healing is 
kind of setting values for yourself and knowing what your limits are and know where you need to set those boundaries on. Does, can you relate to that? Well, absolutely. I mean, we have to come to a point where we rec- we value ourselves and we recognize our own needs. And that's something that a codependent um person really struggles with but you know to recognize like hey my life doesn't center around my loved one's addiction my life um needs to to my as a christian my life centers around god but um you know god wants me to take care of me and i need to look in the mirror and say you know you matter you're valuable and what do you need today how 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 can you um get your needs met and if you know we're putting all our eggs in one basket like i did in my first marriage you know expecting something from someone who just couldn't give it you know we're we're gonna we're gonna end up feeling empty lost and you know as i did at one point suicidal and um that's not the abundant life that christ called us to live it's not the abundant life any of us want to live you know we have to say okay i'm i'm valuable i'm worth this investment in myself and even if it's going once or twice a week to a recovery group and and um and sharing from the heart uh honestly it is healing to have those people sitting there um they're not sitting on their phone. They don't have a device in their hand. No. They're not cross-talking and interrupting as you share. They are looking at, at you know, they're, they're looking at me with um, eyes of empathy, head nods of understanding, and they're listening. And that is such a rare treat um, in this world That's that, uh, you know, it's something I just encourage all of us to take advantage of because um it's powerful it's powerful to be heard to be understood is um is a gift uh to ourselves and to others when we when you know when we're the ones doing the listening yeah and you know one thing i there's a story i want to share i heard this that there was a this guy was telling me that one of his friends got out of jail he he was addicted but he, there's two ways he could go home. Like there's two ways he could get home. One way is shorter, but it would take him to the neighborhood that got him in, into the mess already. And another one was way longer, like half an hour or so longer. If he went the way, the shorter way, it sounds so fundamentally silly because you're just driving home. He will be mm-hmm. caught up in it all. You know what I mean? Yes. And he will be back where he was. So he mm-hmm. drove that longer way. Every yeah. every single way, whenever he had to go back and forth for to treatment, so this is fundamentally one of the things that you know we have to recognize. Like you said, you have to be honest with yourself, honest mm-hmm. with your limits. You know, um, one of the things that I like about recovery, the whole concept of recovery, especially with chronic disease, either physical or mental or whatever, is the idea that really paints the same picture when I, when I think of my faith. You know, the idea that we never make it but we continue to grow. We're on this journey throughout our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, even in, in my faith, it's the same way. With God, I'm always on a journey. I'm never going to make it, you know what I mean? But it's always this journey, especially 
in recovery, I like that humbleness. You know, there's one person in my group, she said, the biggest struggle, stumbling block was me. my sister wants me to hate my mom because of what we she did when she was younger. Right? Mm-hmm. And she can't hold on to that hate because, you know, hate does not, it, it does, only does it, uh, all it does is presents more toxic and for people who are struggling with either substance or mental health issues it is not conducive of your recovery forgiving is healing being grateful and gratitude is healing versus entitlement which is the opposite is toxic entitlement is toxic gratitude is healing forgiving is healing hatred is toxic and um i just want to ask you one question if someone was listening in the podcast right now, I know you explained a lot of what um, um, what you um, some advice you already gave, but and feels they have a similar similar story, like in regards to what you shared so far. What advice would you give them? If there was one thing you would give them, they're going through it right now. They're with a spouse that is who's subs- who's is addicted to either su- some sort of substance controlled substance mm-hmm. what would you tell them right now if you could see even just one thing main thing what would you say then to them uh, i would say to them don't don't make their whole identity about their loved one's addiction yeah. um but to 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 value themselves enough to to get help for for their own issues for their own um problems for their own coping mechanisms that are unhealthy and find a safe healing place where they can be honest and where they can grow for themselves that's number one and the second thing is i would say don't give up on your addicted loved one um even though especially if it's a marriage situation even though the marriage might end um you can still pray for that person and care for that person from afar. And I say that because, you know, after prison, after, um, you know, 14, 15 years later, we're down the road now. I'm remarried. Um, I, I recently just found out that my former spouse is clean and sober, is um, living a productive life and um, is uh, contributing back to his community, um, is, is uh, participating in, in a singing group in his church every week. Like these were things that I never would have dreamed at one point in my life. But, you know, I, I can celebrate them. And in my book, you know, he represents, John represents everybody, the addicted left one. And people want to know, you know, is he okay? Did he make it? Is there hope for my person? And I just want to say, like, yes, there's hope for your person. Um, with God, there's always hope. And, of course, you know, there's always a last time to use. Sometimes, unfortunately, that last time ends in death. And we all know stories of people who OD and die. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really sad. But yeah. sometimes that last time is the beginning of new life mm-hmm. and a life of sobriety. And I just want to say, like, it's not over until it's over. Yeah. And, um, you know, we just, we model um, participating in recovery community, participating in healing. We model having good boundaries. We model 
self-care. And, um, and we pray that that person will recognize some of those things and will begin to care enough about themselves to seek healing for themselves. Not because we want it for them, not because we're threatening them or bribing them or you know whatever it is that we do to try to force someone to do something. It's because they want it for themselves. And um, I just, you know, I wanna leave that with the audience because, um, that's that's my motto to sow hope in hearts wounded by addiction and there is hope there is always hope yeah it's that shift from have to to want to that's huge it's vital and finally the question that revive ministry podcast is asking our guests is trying to answer the question as a community and you've been answering it all along but as a community of people around the world because i don't see borders when it comes to these topics no. Why should we care? We need each other. Yeah. We need each other. And we care because we want to see others have hope. And our, our world is really suffering. Mm. Um, and we care because we want to make the world a better place. We yeah. want... We want uh, young people to have hope um, in in their future, and we care because we we want to model what um, what it looks like to live clean and sober lives and give back. And um, we can't give up. We can't afford to give up. Too much hinges on each one of us um, walking out our recovery, walking out our sobriety, walking out those 12 steps. Um, it, it matters. We care because we want to give hope to others. And, you know, one thing that I, I love to say is that we all play a part, each one of us. Everyone, addiction, substance abuse, mental health, all these social issues that are happening, all of us play a part, either in your churches, right. in your work, whatever. You know someone. You know the thing is, the thing is, you know, shaming, like you were saying in the beginning, and guilting gets us nowhere. Gets yeah. nowhere. All it does is prevents us to actually see what's ahead. You know, see what's what kind of purpose, what kind of meaning I could find in this life. Continue to find value in yourself. And I just want to ask, give you the opportunity, Juliet. I know I asked you a bunch of questions, but is there anything you want to like close off and wrapping up? And then we're going to shift to what you're doing now and how, um, what your, your ministries are doing and a little bit uh, of yourself and some resources you would think will be useful. So anything, uh, just wrapping up. I know we kind of just, I just kind of asked a lot of questions, but I think this was this this sharing this kind of back and forth dialogue really is helpful to for people to see you know not just by my perspective but from other people's perspective their story of how they view recovery and how why it's important so anyway you want to close off or wrap up your story in general well i just want to say that um there was a verse in the bible jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. And uh, God is asking a question. He says, Behold, I'm the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And the answer is no. And uh, 
you know, when we, when we work our 12 steps, there is a higher power that's there. And, um, and I just want to encourage everyone. There is nothing too hard for him. And when we ally ourselves, um, with that higher power, which is God, and we, we, we get our strength in him. Um, there is nothing, there is absolutely nothing too hard for him and we can do it. We can work through our recovery. We can work through these 12 steps. We can make the amends that need to be made. We can choose to offer forgiveness to those who have hurt and abused and wounded, um, us. And, um, we can put down our drug of choice and not pick it up again through his strength. And so I just want to, to leave people with that promise. There is nothing too hard for God. Yeah. You know, just like the quote I said at the beginning, may our choices reflect our hopes, not our fears. Um, thank right. you. Thank you, Julia, for sharing. Can you tell the listeners what you're up to now? Um, where, where they can, like, with your ministries, um, I know that you're involved with Relevant Life Solutions. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And also where where they could, you know, if the people are listening, they're like, where can I find if I want to, if they want to, everything will be in the notes, mind you. So if they, okay. So, okay. so you don't have to like, sure. you know, so just like where they could find your book if they want to okay. uh, and stuff like that. So go ahead. Sure. No, um, my book is called Same Dress, Different Day, A Spiritual Memoir of Addiction and redemption and it is found on amazon there is a kindle version it's also available in spanish um it just recently has been translated into russian and will be released um the russian language in uh ukraine and uh, in uh april of 2020 which is very exciting and um writing a uh, companion study guide to go along with it for small groups to get together and do a book club and kind of um allow my story to impact their story a little bit more deeply so that's exciting um i write on my blog um julietvanheerden.com um sometimes sharing um personal stories and uh, stories of hope with others um, our nonprofit is, is Relevant Life Solutions. It's at relevantlifesolutions.org. And um, we empower people through connecting and sharing resources. Um, the sales from my book go back into our ministry that helps families affected by addiction. So um, sometimes we're able to help um you know, single moms, we, this last year, we helped a single mom get a computer. She was in school and she needed a laptop. Mm-hmm. Um, we've helped people with um, getting dental work done to repair their teeth, um, sometimes um, vehicle repairs so people can get to their work. You know, sometimes um, uh, addictions can leave us um, in financial ruin and it's yeah. very hard to get back up on our feet. So yeah. we just have a lot of compassion for people Um, And so, you know, people who donate to our ministry um, know that they're giving back to others who are affected um, by, by loved ones addiction. And, um, and that's one way that we so hope in hearts that are wounded by addiction is um, actually physically, you know, helping people to get on their feet, to move forward, to have that kind of hope, um, as well as providing, you know, resources, um, things to read, uh, 
referring them to other places who have maybe more opportunities to help. So that's that's our um, our ministry um, through relevantlifesolutions.org. Right. Well, yeah. Well, you know, I will get all that information, and uh, it'll be in the notes for those listening. Last thing is um, resources. Would you like to share anything that you found helpful, either locally or nationwide, knowing that people are going to be listening from all neck of the woods? So, any- <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, I, I really like uh, Celebrate Recovery. It's it's a great um, it's a great program, a great way to plug in. Um, it is. Uh, international almost every city in the United States has one so I just encourage uh, people to, to find use that as a resource and also there is a, there's a huge connection between trauma and addiction mm-hmm. and I would uh, recommend for people to get online and uh, research the adverse childhood experiences mm-hmm. um, there take the test take the little quiz and find out, you know, what your number is and what that means, and um, look for some ways to become trauma informed and to to uh, seek healing for trauma, because most of us have experienced some kind of trauma that's driving the addiction, and um, that's a kind of a newish area that I just want to encourage uh, people uh, to to look into and and look at your own life and see see where do I fit in this a study what does it mean uh, to me and how can I how can I find some some resources to help myself in this area again thank you Julia for sharing your story with us today we're gonna all all that information will be on the notes um, well till next time this is goodbye from revive ministry podcast thank you again Julia for coming in and agreeing My pleasure um, plus, please check out our website for updates and latest episodes of the podcast. It's ReviveMinistriesFL.com. Um, I will leave you with a, this one quote. I, um, I usually try to leave with a quote. Um, same person, Nelson Mandela. It says, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid but he who conquers that fear thank you and see you next time Mm -hmm.